What's the difference between Hacha and Hecha? Is an Amora a rabbi in the Mishnah or the Gemara? Mishnah and Gemara are basic fundamentals Jewish subjects that form the foundation of lifelong Jewish learning. That's why Jewish schools teach basic Mishnah and Gemara from the beginning of middle school. But Mishnah and Gemara are also pretty hard to learn and understand. This is Ruvain Spolter, founder of Kita. I build Kita to give kids a way to learn Torah subjects in a manner that's clear, interesting, and even fun. As students learn, they also gain skills, vocabulary, and terminology critical for their future growth. Students in Kita get two lessons each week, which they learn on their own. And then we meet in a Zoom every Sunday. Are you looking to give your middle school age child a better understanding of Mishnah and Gemara? Do you want to give him or her a leg up to be ready to enter high school or yeshiva? Space is available in the Kita Mishnah and Gemara track for this year. Give your child the skills and tools that will help them learn throughout their lives. For more information, go to kita.org. That's K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G. Welcome to another edition of RZ Weekly. This is actually, I would call it an emergency edition of RZ Weekly because we've got stuff mm-hmm. to talk about, as you all well know. It's, it, we're recording on Erev uh, Sukkot, and if all goes well, we'll actually put it out tonight. Uh, and, and I reached out to my esteemed colleagues, Harmony Malibravsky. Hello, Harmony Malibravsky. how are you? And Rav Johnny Solomon. How are you, Rav Johnny? Shalom. Because I just need to talk about this. I mean, all of us, it doesn't matter where you are around the world, we, we finished our Yom Kippur, beautiful Yom Kippur in Yad Binyamin, uh, you know, very powerful davening, wonderful sitting next to my son. And I, I don't know if we were surprised or not surprised because the, the whole brouhaha was brouhahaing before uh, the Chag, but I kind of put it out of my mind. And then you, you, you open up, uh, I, I, like, I guess after we broke the fast, I did not open my phone immediately afterwards because I'm trying to be better about that. That's one of my uh, New Year's resolutions, I guess, to try to be less social media-y. And um, you, you just sort of see this tragedy unfolding like that had unfolded on, on Yom Kippur in Tel Aviv. That you have these people who, Rosh Yehudi, who wanted to have, uh, uh, they tried to have a Kol Nidre and people took away the Mechitzot that ila, they tried ila. to put up. Now, for the, first they had, let's get the facts straight. First they sure? tried to do Kol Nidre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They tried to do Kol Nidre, and they had this mini Mechitza, and people came. They took down the Mechitzas, and then they basically protested making Tefillah impossible. And then when they tried to have another davening for Ni'ila without a Mechitza, from what I understand, I wasn't there, but the details are, the, the, the nitty-gritty details to my mind are, are not, not critically important. They're important, but not critically important. Uh, people came and protested and prevented them from having Tefillah in for having a tefillah in, in uh, Kikar Rabin in, in, in Tel Aviv, basically... Dizengoff. Are you sure? That, I, okay. I think the details actually do matter. So I think we should have a fact, fact checker. Because um, I'm not sure whether this whether they, you know, this... No, I know for a fact there was a Kol Nidre and then there was an and Ila. The, you th- and that this um, barrier made of flags was, you think, Kol Nidre and not an Ila? Yes, that's what I understand. But okay, that, you know... Anyway, okay. but the, but the we want to say I want to say full disclosure because one of my points is going to be the facts really matter that we should probably find the facts and and clarify them. Okay, very good. Uh, we can we can agree that there was a tefillah, whether it was a mechitza or not. People came and protested, 
and essentially prevented there from being a public tefillah in the center of Tel Aviv. And it wasn't only there. There were other tefillot also that were protested. And, and what happened afterwards was sort of, I can't say shocking, but sort of expected that, that uh, it, it divided into essentially two camps, the pro-prayer and the anti-prayer, where the pro-prayer was saying, how on Yom Kippur could you protest people's willingness to pray? I thought you people were, you people, I thought your side is supposed to be liberal and open, and no one's coercing anyone to do anything. It was free and open to, to the public. So how in the world could, could you be anti-public prayer? And on the other hand, you had, um, you can tell me if this is accurate or not, you had, uh, um, not, it wasn't just a militant group of protesters, but an entire, I would say, a section of people from the protest movement and from uh, political parties saying, that this action was justified because it was against, um, I would say, uh, a messianic uh, group that's trying to impose its vision of Judaism and its vision of, of appropriateness on the city of Tel Aviv. And therefore, it's appropriate to not allow them to pray because they're coming to us to try to overtake our city. They're trying to change the way we live our lives. And therefore, we don't want to have them in a, with us and we have every right to prevent them from doing that. Just the very image of, of seeing Jews prevent other Jews from davening in the Jewish state in the city of Tel Aviv was incredibly painful for so many of us. So we're going to first go to Johnny and, and say to J Johnny, just simply, uh, Johnny, how do you do process this? How, did you, how do you react to this? What was your response? And how do we think about this? Um, so first, I do want to respond by saying facts do matter. Uh, at the same time, we need to figure out how important those facts were in that moment to which ultimately eyewitnesses are important because there's been a lot of commentary and a lot of weight being put on certain facts over others, which makes things quite confusing for those who weren't present. What I do know, though, is all those who were present, who've written and told their version of the events on social media, are pained. Now, you ask me, how do I feel? Well, actually... I found out about this when I came home on Motzei Yom Kippur, having been in Kibbutz Nitzanim, a secular kibbutz, where I went voluntarily with somebody else to lead tefillah. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful, not because of the numbers, not because of the exotic location. We're in a chedorochel of a kibbutz. Because it affirmed what I know about this country and what I know about this people. As I've mentioned a number of times, most of my family in Israel are chilonim. That is part of my world. That is who I am. And so going to a place like Nitzanim is connecting to my wider family, my extended family, which is familiar to me, and praying there in a way which was uh, both inclusive in all the definitions of the term, in a way which showed dignity to all people present, which certainly myself and my counterpart did, brought you know, warmth to the, all those present and ended in a very, very joyous manner. Now, leaving a place like that where it made a meaningful impression through coming not with the in, in, uh, agenda of Hadata, not with an agenda of trying to play with people's minds, but instead to provide a service and to be there to help people who wish to be there connect their heritage. And then to read that a prayer service, which notwithstanding uh, the various players in terms of organizing that prayer service, ultimately was intended for something very similar provide an open setting for people who wish to pray to pray with 
uh, in a city which is generally assumed to be associated with and defined by its secular uh, religious attitudes. And to see the images that we saw, which was pasted all over the news and all over social media, where there wasn't just rhetoric, but instead there was violence, there was violence of words and there was violence in actions, it pained me. It pained me as a Jew. It pained me especially because I know that's not who we are, that's not how we behave, that's not how the majority of secular Israelis are, and it's not the majority of religious Israelis in terms of agitators are. And then what pained me even more was, and that's why I began with this whole notion of narrative, how people unpick this narrative as if to say, this is Israel. I'd say, no, this is not Israel. This is a tragic moment that happened in Israel, where a handful of people decided, even though they claim to represent the rule of law in terms of cities being able to determine public policy in their cities. They didn't ask city administrators or police people. Instead, they took the law in their own hands, in their own mind, and they became disruptors and agitators. And they offended the spirit, truth be told, of the values of the Jewish people. And it pained me because that's not who we are. And if you watch any kind of meaningful and thoughtful response from religious and less religious, artists, musicians, authors, they'll say the same thing, which is, Yom Kippur, no, come on. Like, whatever yeah, we yeah, do... Yeah, but Johnny, they didn't the say that. Day. People defended it. People said it. People, many people, politicians, leaders, defended it. Maybe a couple of days later, right. they decided to change their mind and then decried it while defending it. But they didn't initially. They didn't recoil. And when you say, the thing that was so painful for me is, you say, this isn't us, this isn't, this isn't a lot of people, but it seems to be more and more, it is a lot of people. A lot of people. And, and that's so, so what I think we need to think about and talk about and try to unpack. Right. So I just want to add just two quick points, which I'm sure is going to segue to, to what you and Mali are then going to add. So the question really then is the following. Given that statistically, I, I put this way, I'm, I'm not even asking, my I I know statistically I'm right that this isn't reflective of the greater Jewish people. That's not even up for discussion. So then the question's well, a very, very valid question. You're, you're right. If that's, that's how case, many, but there used to be something called beyond the pale. Unimaginable. Nahon. This is a not, Nahon. beyond a line that nobody would ever consider doing. And suddenly the unimaginable, the unconsiderable, the rejection, like, the, the rejection of religious, of, of religious expression, Jewish expression in the Jewish state, is now imaginable and defendable. No, it's not rejection, it's the attacking. Let's okay, be very, very correct. clear. There attacking are plenty of people who rejected. It's the attacking, what? right? I, I know plenty of people who rejected, but they didn't go out and attack. And that's a whole different level. So just two quick things which I think is incredibly important. So, uh, and this is in no way uh, in trying to justify or trying to find a kind of a sadzchut of ugly behavior, right? There is a fear. There is fear-mongering which has been fostered for decades, which has certainly been heightened uh, in the past year, fear-mongering that people are coming and trying to control places and cities and control the minds and hearts of people. Now, by the way, I want to make it clear, there is, at times, reasons when we should be fearful. I was just speaking to somebody not so long ago who was remembering the time, the story of Yaldé Tehran, right? of kids literally being captured. That was a time when there was real fear that people were going to take your child and brainwash them. That's what happened in schools. This isn't happening. Nobody's going into 
secular schools and brainwashing kids. Nobody's going and telling people what to do. So there is a, a ridiculous level of fear, most of which is not justified, but it's been whipped up as if that's what's about to happen, which a precipice of losing secular Israel, which, by the way, has its value, has its importance. But that's, that's a fiction. That's point number one. Point number two is that there's been a misunderstanding of what it means to protest. Now, we're proud members of a society that value protesting, even in the height of corona. The government said, we give you rights to go out and protest. However, we come from a tradition where protest was generally all about the point of protest. It wasn't even often about changing people's minds. Throughout the Talmud, it would say the rabbis were mocher, but they didn't change behavior. They were on record to say, I disagree with this value, this principle, whatever. Protest, though, has changed. Rather than it being subject-specific or principle-specific, instead it's become about the disruption. Actually, truth be told, you lose the message when protests become so ugly. And so the devolution of protest from it being policy-centered to being about anger and control, about rage, about disruption, which has happened in lots of different cities for lots of different reasons, and sometimes religious people and sometimes secular. So I'm not trying to tarnish any particular group. But as a result of that, what we saw was fear and a misunderstanding of how to communicate fear through protest, which led to the attacking of fellow Jews in a way which was beyond the pale, which shocked the majority of Israelis, but precisely because the narrative that the primarily the media have given to fear and to protest, they reshaped what took place in a way that fitted what they think is happening to the country, even though it's not particularly the case. Mali, is it fear? Is it misunderstanding? Is it narrative? Or is there something deeper? Um, I think it's all of those things. So I want to I wanna maybe... You, you said to Johnny, like, how do you process this? So I just want to share, like, how I've been processing this, because I've been doing a, a lot of processing of this. Um, okay, so the first thing I want to say is the reason that I was so mockpitted when you were telling, you know, explaining the facts, um, because I really do think that you have to start with the truth. If you don't start with facts, you don't have anything. And that's where you end up in a, mm -hmm. you know, post-truth world, narrative world. And I think it's super dangerous. We can have machloket, but the machloket needs to be based on the fact, which is why... My understand meaning why because my understanding of what happened was yes the meaning legally Rosh Yehudi had a right they they had permission to have a public service okay they did not have permission to set up a barrier okay now what I understood was they that at some point they had set up some type of like you know Israeli flag barrier it's not clear to me whether it was through the way or around the beam not clear um, and so some people are arguing well you see they broke the law. But then, yes, I agree with that. But first of all, this is maybe a little bit nitpicky, but the, I think a lot of the policemen weren't, were like, I don't really think that's a barrier, but that doesn't even matter. The point but is, you're getting, even, again, I know, I, I, I know, no, but why do I, I want to explain why I think the nitty gritty is important. Like I want to start with the nitty gritty. The facts One are second. important. The facts are Jews okay. stopped other Jews. I, I don't, okay, but then people say, I know, but they stopped them from that because they broke the law. And so what I want to say is, even if they broke a law by putting up that barrier, yeah. 
once that barrier was down, which happens very quickly, they had every right to be dominating in that public space with a permit. And therefore... Wait, 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 I'm second. sorry, I even disagree with that. Even if they broke the law, you're not the police. Okay, You go to the police, that. you don't have the I'm right to enforce... Even... If you mean, Does that mean to say that if you not. break the law and, pro- and protest so by police. blocking of the course. street, I can go and then of remove course. them? Of course, I'm just saying, I'm that, trying ridiculous to give as much trust as I possibly can because I am completely gobsmacked. I cannot think of another word. And maybe it's just social media and Facebook and, you know, um, I heard somebody who, again, I'm not going to say her by name because no, I'm not going to get her, her permission, but she said Facebook is where ideas go to die, which I thought was very clever. And still I can't keep myself from... You know, I'm so pulled into this story. From doom scrolling. Yes, yes <laughs> absolutely. But I'm saying I'm so gobsmacked by the amount of people who are religious, who are willing to excuse this behavior because on the basis of like, well, they shouldn't have been there and there's a provocation. So I want to say, first of all, even if they did something illegal, that was taken away and it was and they had every right to be there praying. And so all your theoretical theoretical issues, which I'll get to in a second, None of that justifies the behavior. And I think that's what Johnny was saying. And that's that. And I, I just want people to be crystal clear about that. Okay. Um, and I actually had a very interesting conversation with a, with a peer slash friend of mine from a, across the aisle, I would say. She goes to protests all the time. She called me and we had a very nice conversation. And one of the things that I said to her was, in my therapeutic work, one of the things I say over and over to people is all feelings are legitimate. You can feel anything you want. You should feel anything you want. You should not feel guilty about your feelings. Feelings are like weather systems. You can feel angry. You can feel sad. You can feel murderous rage. You can feel whatever you want. It's not Emotions are not in your control. All feelings are valid. Not all behaviors are valid. So I can understand the feelings, and I'll talk about that in a second. But as Viktor Frankl said, between stimulus and response is a space, right? Between a stimulus and your emotional response and then your behavioral action, there's a space. In that space is choice and in that choice is your freedom, right? Meaning you can be as emotionally charged as you want, right? Or as, as you have every right to be, but certain behaviors are beyond the pale. And that needs to be made crystal clear. There is no justification for the behaviors that we saw, for, for stopping this uh, tefillah, for forcing them inside, for making people cry, for, uh, for making children cry. Like, I can't even look at these pictures. I, I think that's why I'm, I think I'm sucked in because I, I can't tolerate the degree of pain that was foisted upon people. And, and I just feel like I, it, it, it astonishes me that there isn't, that there are, I, sh- I shouldn't say that there isn't a louder outcry against these behaviors because I think with John, I think agree with John. I think the majority of people did realize that the behaviors were too far, but the people who are trying to justify it because I can understand the feelings, I can also understand the feelings, and I'll get there in a second. But can we, before we say that we can understand the feelings, can we for, can we say loud and clear? I don't care how much you don't like Roshi Huti. I don't care how much you don't like the people they have come to speak. This behavior is unacceptable behavior. Full stop, end of conversation. And that's the first thing that I want to say. Now, the second thing I want to say, which I think is kind of the other side of the picture, is if I just said that I was pulled in by the pain, right? Meaning, and, and I'm reading this amazing book called Bittersweet by Susan Cain, and she talks about why we have, right? Amazing book. Everybody should read it. Um, why, we ha- why we experience pain. Like, why do we ha- experience negative feelings, sadness? And she says, it's, it's so that we can have empathy for other people, right? It's so that if I, I don't know, see someone getting hurt and it makes me sad, I will be spurred to help that person, 
right? We have pain slash empathy so that we can make the world a better place. Um, and I think that that's really true. I think Jonathan Sachs, Johnny is our expert, but he said like that's, that's the Jewish answer to Tzadik Varalo. I don't care why why bad things mm-hmm. happen. I know that my mission is if I see someone in pain, is my job is to is to make that is to try to fight against that injustice. So because of that, I feel like I need to also get in touch. First of all, I'm going to say facts matter. Behaviors. Um, are, are, you have to be held accountable for your behavior. These behaviors were unacceptable. I also do agree with Johnny that it was not a majority of the population. I think this was like an organ, I, I suspect, whatever, but I do suspect that there's like a core um, agitators group that led this. Um, I do think that they preyed on fears that exist within a larger group of the population. And there, that pain, I do think that it's important for us to get in touch with. What is going on? What nerve is being hit in the Chiloni population? And I do think that um, that we, we, we do have to, and again, we're all us, we're all, right? But we do have to understand that fear. I do think it's fear. Now, I'm with Johnny. I'm like, Ribbon Shalom. Like, well, what are you, like, again, in my cognitive mind, what are you so afraid of? I know, I know, I know the Haredim and the Knesset. I know they passed stupid laws about like sneered at the Kotel. I know they know that they like the, the way they protest women of the, of the wall is really offensive. I know we that like Rev Levenstein who like came and spoke at that Rosh Hudi thing has, has had said horrible things about like homosexuals and none of these things are justified. But really, what are you afraid of? Like, I can't, I don't get it, right? Like, I just don't get it or like, What's a machitza going to do to you? So, like, there's a machitza there. So, someone we're going to choose to be in that. There's also going to be a non-machitza area. Like, everybody knew that. Why is it so triggering for you, right? And so, the answer is, I need to get in touch with what's tr- what's so triggering for people. Why is it so painful? Yeah, I just want to finish up this point, and then, I'll, and this really helped me having this conversation with my friend because she said to me, I know somebody who like the idea of a machitza and I'm going to use this word, and I'm using it loosely, but I'm going to use it anyway. She said it's traumatizing for her because she grew up in an environment where the mechitza really made her feel terrible, and she found it to be like, so she's frozen there. And I was like, oh, I get it now, right? We're not, like, if I get it, no, one second. No, that's not these people. No, that's not the people that but, what, but I'm just saying, if we can, ta- the, 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 I, I'm not going to start, I don't know the protesters, you know what I'm saying? People tell me, go and speak to them. But I'm going to say, I'm sure there are plenty of protesters and there are plenty of people there who maybe not, weren't the people, yeah, not the people who were screaming busha, 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 and like throwing machzorim on the floor, but people who are justifying this in social media, I think like I need to, I'm trying to understand that like, they're in a place of deep pain and I slash trauma experience. And when you're in trauma, you're stuck. You're frozen. That's what trauma is. You're frozen. And I think people are just frozen in these fearful places. And that doesn't do anybody any good. And, and I think it's important to be, be aware of that. So I'm going to end with like my own personal process is a um, Brene Brown um, image. She calls it soft front, strong back. Right? So what does that mean? Strong back means you have, I'm going to have a backbone and I'm going to fight and I don't care how many people on social media are going to like, you know, I'm going to be offending and I'm going to say, just stop it. Just stop it. They had every right to have that tefillah. This, you, 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 you are defending the indefensible. And I will strong back say that. And I will say, I don't care if you like Roshi Hudi or don't like Roshi Hudi. They had every right to do it. They've done it before. They, they'll, they, they, you know, they, they, they can do it again um, and, and, and stop like creating narratives 
um, because you're unhappy with the government and you don't like the, you know, you're afraid of a messiness, just stop. And I am going to have my back, my, my strong back on that. And I'm also going to have a soft front, which means that because I could have a strong backbone, I can have the strong, soft front to say, okay. And I can also try to talk to individuals and try to understand where they come from and try to yes, bridge the gaps um, and have compassion. And that's, that's kind of how I'm trying to process it. That and what Johnny said, which is um, a, like, there were, it's important to remember that there were plenty of the, more than ever, kibbutz davenings, which didn't exist 50 years ago, and Sohar davenings. And, and that's another thing that I say to myself is like, I think a lot of this is like the hysterical death of the hardcore secular who realize that they're losing the country to a Misorati reality, which to me is Baruch Hashem, and I don't need it to be messianic, and I don't need everybody to be religious, but I'm not unhappy about that movement. Um, and the final point I'm going to make is that um, the, one of the reasons why I want to... By the way, that little small point you make is, is a, a, is a yes, large yes, point. Yes, very yes. important, very, yeah. very significant um, point. But the last okay. point I'm going to make is, yeah. I also agree with Johnny, and that's that's why I really want to have this strong back about the facts, is like, I think, I think this whole thing of like, Facts don't matter, and it's just I'm going to create a narrative, and I'm going to and, and like how I'm going to protest. It's not just that we see this in other places in in um, Israel, Johnny. This is we've seen this in America, and when you create a narrative around the world, yes, this is a, when you, you create a narrative around your truth, but your truth is Ke'ilu, the righteous, self righteous one. People are very afraid to push back against it, and they very quickly jump on your bandwagon, and then all of a sudden, a year and a half later, it becomes clear that oh. Actually, a lot of your truth isn't really true, and a lot of the facts you're saying aren't really correct. But it's like, it's like after you've already done tremendous damage to the fabric of your society, and I don't want that to happen in Israel. And that's another reason why, to me, the, the strong back is really, really important here. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then uh, I'm going to respond. So stay with us. Shalom. This is Rav Johnny Solomon. And I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ila, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Okay, we're back. So I, I, I want to, first of all, I, I agree Molly, with what you said. Everything is 100% true. There, there's no, <coughs> sorry everybody, I'm getting over a four-week cough. There's no, there's no justification whatsoever to, for, to preventing people, to, to stopping people from the right to pray in public full stop. Right? There's no justification whatsoever. And, and I agree with everything you said about the strong back, Soft friends, I don't know how that works, but, but I, I'm going I'm to agree with that. What I, what I really, though, want to do, I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm trying to unpack it. And Johnny, you, Johnny used the term fear-mongering. And now there is absolute fear-mongering. I, 
I like recoil every time I see the Handmaid's Tale, like you know, uh, you know, like Kiilu, as if there was like a group of religious fanatics that are going to try to take the women of, of Israel and somehow turn them into baby machines. Like if you if you ever if you know the the, mm-hmm. the thing about the Handmaid's Tale, I mean, it's a great image. But it works, it, like, it's great visually, it's great for pictures and social media, but it's just false. It's just totally false. And the people who are doing it know that it's false. It's just really, it's, 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 it's infuriating in a sense. That all being said, without justifying, I want to try to understand. I want to try to unpack. And like, again, Johnny used the term fear-mongering and, it's, and creating a fiction. And we have to ask ourselves, First of all, is it really, I mean, is, there is fear-mongering, but to what degree is there fear-mongering? And to what degree is, is there a fiction? And what I mean by that is this. To what degree does a secular public impose its will on my life? So every now and then there's a, a Supreme Court decision, like personally, am I affected if Aryeh Derry could be a minister or not based on whether they think it's reasonable or not? No, not really. I don't really care if Derry's a minister or not. Am I affected if the Supreme Court rejects the, the, the government's position on, on uh, deporting Eritreans from the south of Tel Aviv? Not really. N- not at all. So I'm, tr- I'm trying to think to myself, in what way does the secular Israeli public affect the way that I live my life? And in reality, like pretty minimally. I don't know if you guys can think of an example or two. I don't know. But in what way do I affect the lives of people in Tel Aviv because of what I want? Well, first of all, on Shabbat, on Saturday, if they want to go take the the, the brand new lovely light rails to, to, I don't know, to the beach, they can't do that. Why? Because I've decided, we have decided as a religious public, that we want the state to be Shomer Shabbat. And for that reason, public transportation has to be closed where they live. Give me another example. Can I decide, if they, if they want to get married to the person that they love, and that person happens not to be Jewish, can they get married? I have to tell you, that is, must be the most infuriating thing humanly possible, that the most meaningful moment of your life that you want to have with the person you've decided to love, you can't do it in this country. You have to take a flight to Cyprus to have some Cypriot official decide that you're married, and then you come back and have a chuppah that everybody knows isn't official, it's the other chuppah. Can can you imagine that? Can you imagine if we wanted to get married, we we were not allowed to do it in our country because we wanted to do it in the way that we want to do it? Think about that. I recently helped a person a young woman through Tsohar. She, she did not marry in <coughs> the Rabbanut. She had a baby. And now she, was, she, she had to go through hoops simply to register her baby in Misrat Apnim because they, 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 she's Jewish, just to get her kid a passport. So the, there are things that are a part of the secular public's daily life, literally their daily life, where somebody is imposing their will on somebody else and it's, it's, like a, it's like a prick all the time. A prick all the time. So you, you, so you have to ima- imagine and, and understand this reality and understand that that's, that's, that's a truism. All three of us, we're all on, on, this, uh, on this Zoom, all three of us live in closed religious communities. We, we live in, we chose to live in religious communities. Good thing, not a good thing. Like, so think about like, if you're living, I don't know, in Oak Park, Michigan now or Los Angeles, you know, think about what you go out of your house on Shabbat. You see cars, you see people driving. If your neighbor puts on loud music, eh, you know what I'm saying? You're just used to it. It's part of your life. It's part of your existence. Now imagine to yourself that somebody moved uh, Johnny into Evan Shmuel, 
secular person and said, by the way, I, I don't want to have the streets being closed. I want to be able to drive at Evan Shmuel. And he invites all his friends, and he starts playing loud music in his backyard on a Friday night. N nothing unusual, by the way, for most people. You know, like a Friday night, not until 10 o'clock at night. Can you imagine the uproar that would be in Evan Shmuel if somebody, well, we have a certain way of living our life. You know, and all of a sudden, you're coming in and trying to change the way we live our life. Okay, so now, now think about it from the other way around. Now, and, and you see to yourself that these groups of people, and it's Rosh Yudi is a symbol, because Rosh Yudi is, represents a movement, a movement that began, ironically, with the murder of Yitzhak Rabin, when people, and the disengagement, when people on our side, on our team, on the religious Zionist movement, realize that it's, it, you know, you, it's very good if you, if, you know, to have our own yeshuvim, but if you lose the hearts and minds of the Israeli public, then they, they, they can impose their will on you, which they did. So what did they do? They created what are called Garinim Toranim. You know, uh, Garin Torani, everybody knows what it is. If you know what it is, it's a, a seed, a Torani seed, or like a, <coughs> like a, like a mini uh, um, group. These Garinim Toranim are unbelievably successful, and they have changed the face of cities across Israel. They have saved many cities. They've changed many cities. And so imagine that you're living in a secular neighborhood, and all of a sudden this group comes in, and now there's 20, 30, 40 families come in. And now all of a sudden there's a yeshiva, and the yeshiva is attracting other people. And the nature of your neighborhood, you know, is going to change. Now, sometimes that's good because it's uh, gentrification, but you know it's just going to change. You know, it's going to change for, it's going to make your life different. And all of the little pinpricks that you had until now, now it's not just going to be a pinprick. Now they're going to start to tell you, you know, we'd really like to close the street on Shabbat. You know, it's really not, not matim for you to act here. It's not matim for you to behave here. So what you're seeing here, again, I'm not justifying in any way the protest preventing people from, from praying. That's wrong. But what we have to understand here is that, that, that we are, in the way that we're acting, through our kiruv, we are threatening people's way of life. The very fact that Johnny was invited to a kibbutz, a secular kibbutz, that's threatening to them. What's happening to the secular way of life? If you're a, you know, a Fabrenta secularist. And Israel sort of had an agreement. It always did. I, you, you live in your backyard, and I live in my backyard. And I'm happy. You leave me alone, and I leave you alone. And what we're seeing is, when this mix happens, it's a recipe for friction and strife that somehow has, has gone beyond the red lines that we thought were there and, and really challenged what we thought was the unthinkable. But at the same time, I ask myself, how would I feel if somebody came to my neighborhood and did the exact same thing the other way around? I don't have an answer to that. And I don't know what to do about it because I believe in Kiruv. I believe in making the Jewish state more Jewish. I actually believe in uh, the rabbi, you know, in Jews have to marry Jews. I don't think there should be public, public transportation in Tel Aviv. But when you combine that with, and Mali said, oh, the government, they make, they make stupid laws, et cetera, et cetera. No, they've, they've been doing this all along, and now they have the power to do what they want. How would I react to it if it was me? I don't think I would do what they did, but we have to think about, this to me is the broader conversation to ask ourselves, how, how do we, I, I don't know if you can assuage anybody's fears, but what are we supposed to do about that? Johnny's got his hand up, Johnny's got to respond. I said so a lot. Three I'm quick things. Right. I appreciate, and actually, I really appreciate how you've described what's been taking place, which I think all three of us are aware of, but I don't know the extent to which our listeners are so acutely sensitive to each one of those 
you know, facts and policies does agitate people, and, and understandably so, because it affects a way of life. Three quick things. Number one, in terms of my visit to this kibbutz, which is relevant. Why did they invite me? Because they've come to realize they went too far. This is a kibbutz which, when it was founded, there was a synagogue established there. Not every secular kibbutz had that, but this is one of three. And they had a service every Shabbat for 30 years. And then they stopped. And they didn't have a service for a long time. And there was a real sense that maybe we're losing something that we should. And then there's been a new crowd of people because they built the Hachava. And the older crowd, I spent time talking with them, are saying, we're so happy that we are bringing some kind of counter-voice to a trend where we've gone too far. And I want to make it clear, a third of the kibbutz were there at service, but two-thirds were not. They were riding bicycles around and about, right? They weren't at the service. I just say, Johnny, right? I think it's so People cool that you were at a kibbutz leading into Yom Kippur davening. I think it's wonderful. But anyway. But, but the, the fact is, I'm not, nobody's trying to change people who are not there, but in a kibbutz and in a yeshuv, you can have a conversation about what's going on in your neighborhood. However, and this comes in response to, to Muganot's uh, uh, piece that Mali sent him, when you have cities, so when you have neighborhoods like Measharim, and when you have cities like Tel Aviv, you're not really able to have that intimate Wait, conversation about I just want to stop for we. a second. Mali shared on her Facebook feed a long piece by Rav Tamir Granot, who is a Rosh Hashiva of Yeshivat Orot Shaul, a very, a very important piece. They probably will translate it at some point. It's worthwhile to find and read about the comparison between the exclusionary nature of Meir Sharim and the exclusionary fan fanaticism of Tel Aviv. That's what you're referring to. So sorry, if our listeners well, well, will know. The, the way he interpreted it. I didn't yeah. agree with every No, no, uh, every neither do I, but I'm saying just you were referring to it. I wanted to, to say what you were referring I appreciate, to. I appreciate it. And what the, the issue is, there come, sometimes comes a point where uh, exclusion becomes the definition of a certain place. A way of life is, is singular. Yeah, but it's not the same in different. where we live. We live exclusionary lives. So I'll come, I'll come back to that in a second. So we have the kibbutz, which is trying to be a counterbalance. Then you have a couple of places which are not interested in counterbalances. And that was what the cries were on Yom Kippur. I think they were terrible. I think they were wrong. But I could still hear those words. I need to know where they're coming from. That's what you said. However, I do want to say a third thing. When we were talking before and you saw me jump up, or you may have seen me, and get a book from the shelves. Because something hit me about the very fact that this is pivoting around Mechitzot. By the way, in anybody said any connection to any synagogue knows Mechitzot are themselves often explosive uh, topics. However, years and years ago, I read a fascinating book actually about a synagogue in Oregon. The context is not so relevant to now, but it's titled Strife in the Sanctuary, uh, Religious Schism in a Jewish Community by Phil Zuckerman. And it, he's a sociologist, and what he did was he tr studied literally a live schism taking place in Jewish community, supposedly about Mechitza, okay? Meaning there was a synagogue which was conservative, people wanted to put a Mechitza or change it, and then it became a schism, and he wrote a book about what happens when schisms occur in Jewish communities, and the really important bit about this book, because say, I read this 20-some years ago, whereas he opened my eyes to, to academic debates about schism or schism assumed to be religious schism. Oftentimes people think it's about the thing, meaning he came on and he said, you guys are claiming the arguments about the mechitza, but is it? And in, in this case, the disruptors claim the arguments about the mechitza or the prayer in the public space. Is it? And the great majority of st studies in any form of schism, in any setting, anywhere, in any religion, right? The great majority say, 
when you have some kind of schism, some kind of fraction, some kind of explosion, it's a lot more about social fractions than about the religious issue that people claim it to be. Meaning, it's a lot more about the groups and the division that preceded whatever people claim has been the, the explosion that led to the schism. And so you need to kind of take a step back saying, what was happening beforehand? What was happening before Yom Kippur? Right, such as you described, what was happening before the schism in this community, which goes back to what I suggested about fear, which we goes back about what people talk about in terms of uh, control, in terms of public space. And so I don't want to buy into the way in which people claim it's about the thing. Not only is it rarely about the thing, but almost every study tells us it's never really about the thing. It's actually about groups. And that goes back to the question of people living their own you know, Yishuvim or Kibbutzim. I've been very self-critical many times outside this forum and this one. Uh, and, and I do so very sincerely. But when we live in these little bubbles, and nowadays when at what we watch on the news is different channels reflecting different political news stories, because it used to be one channel here, right? Now we have many. Uh, and when rather than, as Rabbi Sachs beautifully described, rather than it being broadcasting, we do narrow casting, speaking to specific groups, we see this in social media. The very fact that we're even referring to certain articles by of Tanil Granat, which my secular cousin never saw, demonstrates how we have these narrow bubbles. If we don't sit together, if we don't talk together, if we don't meet together, if we don't understand each other, then we're already creating a pressure cooker for something to lead to its explosion. And if it won't be this, it will be something else. We need to recognize that there's massive work that needs to be done in terms of reducing barriers. This does not defend what took place at all. I want to be crystal, crystal clear. I am abhorred by it. I'm sickened by it. Nevertheless, I also recognize there are things happening the day before Yom Kippur and the week before Yom Kippur. And if we buy into that narrative that's all about the mechitza, all about the prayer, then we are the biggest fools going. I'll say just one final, final thing. One of my greatest uh, rabbinic heroes has been of Chaim David Levi, who was a Svadic chief rabbi in Tel Aviv for quite some years. His tshuvah are remarkable. And w in one of his tshuvah, he discusses protesting against the opening of the cinema in Rishon Sion and overall protesting against Chilul Shabbat in Tel Aviv. Obviously, this was his neck of the woods. He, this is where he lived. And anybody wants to look, he discusses his view of public protests. And he says, in general, the way people protest today, all it does is we lose sight of the topic. It leads to greater um, tensions, and it leads to greater misunderstandings. Now, that doesn't mean if you don't effectively protest, it's worthless. I think there are effective ways to protest. But it does mean the way people take to the streets, often with anger, and shout at other people, never bring Kiyuv Levavot. And he was speaking to a religious community. But this applies to all communities. If you really want people to hear you, know, as, we, our, great, <laughs> as our great holy Bible tells us, uh, there's a way to speak there's a way to speak with courtesy with understanding that's not a re religious value that's a Jewish value if we learn to sit together and talk together and understand each other we won't agree but we will have a way to move forward what's happening in certain parts of this country is our inability to sit together and talk together and hear each other
And everything we're doing around us is exacerbating that, and that's dangerous. And we, us three, I know, are doing some work in that regard, but there's much more work that needs to be done in the regard, notwithstanding the fact that what took place was, was sickening and must never, ever happen again. You know, it's, it's interesting. Before We're going to go to Mali to finish. But, like, I think to myself, like, I understand the sort of the anger, like, even if I try to understand the anger at Rosh Yehudi, because it is a cure of organization, just trying to, it is trying to change. It, it, it says so explicitly. Like, but they didn't, they, those people, the, the protesters, didn't distinguish between a Tefillah of Rosh Yehudi and Tefillah of Sohar, right. which is, it's a totally different, but the, the differences to them are so subtle that, that that's a religious uh, prayer outside and this is a religious prayer outside. Nuance mm. is totally lost, and I don't know how you get it back. Okay, so Molly, first, just to say, just about that again, I do think there's a difference. There's a hardcore and there's a softcore, and my fear is that the hardcore mm. are not interested in the nuance. They're interested in burning it all down. My fear is that because of all the yep. things that you're describing, they are appealing to the softcore. If, if you understand what I'm saying in shorthand, but yes. Well, I think I think the softcore understands that they made a huge mistake, and now they're in bed with people that are Maybe. going to harm their political p- p- potential. Meaning, the person that benefited most from those protests, sadly enough, is Itamar Ben Gvir. I hope he not. He intelligently decided mm. not to protest, not to daven in Tel Aviv this Thursday. Because he already made his gains, he already won. Correct. Understand that he did. Sorry, you know, yeah. and and they they're they're starting to realize that. Which is good. Which that meaning that. that's a good sign. It's like oh, like oh, the, nothing made me happier than yet you're up here being like mishichistim fanatim, and then realizing ooh, I shouldn't have said that because I look bad and having to walk it back because that's a sign of a consensus in the country. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm like looking. Um, uh, my husband was, said to me that Matan Kahana put me said put up a very good post, but I don't have time to look at it now. But I'm just letting everybody know that. And if, I, if we, maybe one of you can look at it now on Facebook. And so while I say my things, you can look it up and if it's relevant. No, Fine. I'm not going to look it up. <laughs> just letting oh, it by the way, somebody, somebody, before you finish, somebody said to me, how do you deal with this? Like he was really in pain. I said two things. I try very much not to let politics affect me personally, meaning, yes, it's painful, but I try to create a separation. And I have found, like, I did not engage. Mala, you're like in I'm the fray. So I because I'm so because I'm so pained. I, I, yeah. I have made a conscious choice not to engage on social media because it doesn't matter. It just well, doesn't make a difference. that's the thing. Facebook is where ideas go to die. That's just, I keep trying to say to but myself. I'm saying. So therefore, it's good to share Torah. Yeah, it's you're good. probably I, I right. I share educational stuff. I do not, like, and there are people that I want to engage with. I've just made a conscious decision. Nope, I do not engage because nothing good okay, will come yeah. in. Only... Anguish Oops. and pain. Yeah, no, no, fine. By the way, so yeah, I just, I, I Google, you know, while you're up doing two things at once, multitasking, apparently Matsanka Hanich came out with a very strong, like, people, not okay. Not okay to throw machsers on the ground. Not okay to, like, it basically came out with a very strong, like, condemnation of the behavior. That That's just what that was. Okay. I want to say to you, Ruby, you were like, I don't know what you mean by soft front. You just described what I meant by soft front. Soft front is exactly what you just, the process you just went through of, like, trying to understand where the fear is coming from, where the pain is coming from, where the chashas is coming from, and that it's real mm. and not to minimize it and to fully put yourself in somebody else's shoes, um, which, is, which is what I think you did, which I think is very... Good, I'm glad I soft-fronted. Great. Yes. You, yes, you soft-fronted. Um, okay. I also want to just say, like, we don't have to... You know, you, you, you may when You went... I'm going to, again, be strong back and say, like, oh, when does it impact on my lives? Well, me, it doesn't really bother, but there are plenty of religious people who... Don't like the fact that they have to swallow a gay pride parade in Yerushalayim. Don't like the fact that they have to swallow a, um, what's it called, when the women walk down the streets basically not wearing any clothing because they want to, some are dressed, some aren't dressed, but because they want to take back the night protest uh, 
victim blaming. There are events that religious people have to swallow in a religious and in a democratic country. So let's not make it, you know, we all have to live together in this country. Um, It's not we're not the only ones impinging on other people's rights, even if I could argue that that it's hard, it, it, you know, your argument that there's more imposition by, for by religious on secular, maybe, maybe, okay? Um, no, I, I think that's, okay. un, that's understandable, but okay. If, if, fine. It's, it doesn't affect, yeah, well, yeah, yeah like I, I don't like the parade, that. but it's not, it doesn't you, affect my daily. It doesn't daily. affect it doesn't you, affect but daily. like there are people who are really like, t- it, 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 and I'm not say, talking about the issue that it's a gay pride parade, that people are walking down like, Celebrate, you know, like the gay pride parade in Tel Aviv looks a little different than the gay pride parade in Yerushalayim, and the gay pride parade in Tel Aviv is extremely promiscuous, let's say. And there are people who really it hurts them; they think that it's a violation of Elotita Meyer Haaretz. Now, again, I don't think that, but allow people to have their opinions, and then everybody has to swallow everybody else's, and we all have to live together. Um, which is why I think my my take on this whole thing is that I 100% agree with you. Which is why my uncle used to always say this, and like it like is in my blood. He's like. The minute we make a law that you have to have a bris milah, the minute you make a law that you have to have a leil seder, the minute you make a law that you have to have a mezuzah, right now all of those things are done by, I don't know, somewhere between 95 to 99% of the Jewish population. The minute those are codified as laws, they will, they will, the numbers will drop. This country, it, it, the, the enforcing things, and again, here comes my conservative side out, enforcing things from the government is, is always the, the, the last worst option. The best option is to do things because you have a society that has shared values and has social cohesion. And that, I think, is the only way that this country is going to, um, I think, thrive, is if we manage to to uh, create some type of social cohesion. I would like, personally, um, there to be social cohesion that includes more appreciation for Jewish values and Torah values and Torah ideals. I, 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 I would, I'm, I, I, less important to me that we impose quote, what, all these kviadatit laws on people. I, I think we're throwing babies out with bath orders when we do that. I think we're going to do much better if we, um, again, like, it's like God bless the Svardim. I, 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 I would, I, I would, I would like it if the whole country could become like the Svardim. Which not all Spartan, but many Spartan, right? Where you can make a face bond. Yeah. Spartan today are many. Many Spartan today are Haredi. Okay, so but I'm talking it, about the you, traditional. You mean with the Spartan were like 50, 30, 40 years okay, ago? But a lot of their like like a lot of Spartan who still that's their approach. Jody is Spartan. You can tell you know he can speak to this. I'm just saying. Well, no, I was quoting yeah, Chaim David Levy. Let's let uh, he he was yeah, a beautiful like, you example. Know, this of idea that. that like they want Judaism as part of their lives. Um, they, they, they don't, they're not necessarily halachic on every single detail, but they certainly are extremely uh, spiritual, godly people and respectful of um, the Torah and the Masorah. And my personal preference would be if the country went in that direction. But the truth is, I do have to say, like, the country will go the direction it will go. And our job is, if we believe in a certain way, I think that the, the way to, 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 to influence is through soft influence and to convince people not to coerce people um and so no, i think you were right what you said before molly the country okay, is so going then, then, they, then, is, then let's not they mess it up they know by being ridiculous going, so you know getting drunk with power and and and, and putting ourselves backwards 50, 50, 50 years now that we're like you know in the knesset that's stupid in my opinion um i think that and that's the solution and you know like as you said like a garin torani uh, I, I i people are like oh yes Rosh Yudi, they're so 
I agree. I'm not from the Kirov approach where, like, my secret agenda is to make everybody religious. I'm not. I remember when I started doing Kirov, quote-unquote, in, in, um, in college, the line was, like, Torah speaks for itself. Just show the beauty of Torah. That's your whole job, right? That's your whole... That's, there's no megama beyond that. And I'm much more in that roche, right? Which, again, I think is much more of a Tzohar roche. It's much more of a, like, here's Judaism. Here's its beauty. Take it. Leave it. Your cheshbonosh with God are yours. My cheshbonosh with God are mine. I would like you to have access to your, 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 um, your, um, yeah, your, um, what's the word? Your legacy, your mesorah. It's yours just as much as it is mine. Take it and do with it whatever you want. To me, that's the most beautiful approach. And then let people vote with their feet. Let the country go which, however the country wants to go. Let there be a hardcore of anti-religious I'd say you'd be okay if the government, if they allowed public transportation to um, I probably, yeah. It's difficult. Me, it's I probably would, actually. Again, I'm always in the, like, Sharansky things, like, open up the public transportation, um, you know, oh, I don't know if he said that, but, like, open up the museums and the cafes and close the places of business. Like, I'm always for, like, the, find the ways. Okay, so you're, you're a Maidan Gabazin person. I'm a Maidan Gabazin person. I really am. Because I, I just really believe that society functions much better when it when it reaches consensus. And, yes, if we can get 60 to 80% of the country to have a consensus and they're 20%, one on each, 10 on each side that are crabby, I think that would be a very big victory. And I think that that's the way to go. I feel like we've come full circle because we live in an era of extremism. The, the 70, 60% right. in the middle is not allowed. And we, exactly what we saw in Tel Aviv. As soon as there were extremists, the people, the politicians, in, okay. initially at least, so let's, boom, right let's to the look extreme. at the positive. So how do we and say we live in they a, realize in a, in an extremist that they, world. thank goodness Israel is still not other countries that that are kind of, you know, I'll use a not nice expression, but sort of sheeple. They just follow, you know, whatever the narrative is that's being pushed. And also here, I think there's, even though there is a narrative that's pushed by the media, I think people are, are see-through sometimes. They dig deeper. I think, I don't know, Israel's not quite as, um, I think there's still some health, some, some healthy societal whether it's cohesion because we have still have shared values, whether it's because Israelis are too smart because they're too many years of having wool pulled over their eyes that they're never, it's never going to happen to them again. Whatever the reasons are, I'm not. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that Meaz, um, we can still bring out the matok. I'm. That's more of a prayer than a belief, but it's a prayer. And Johnny, maybe we'll end with Johnny. Okay, good. With that note, we'll turn yeah. it to Johnny to make it all better in two minutes or less. Fix it, Johnny. Because I'll, I'll feel good before you I'll, I'll, I'll fix it because today Happy was my birthday. wife's birthday. Oh, and I yay. took her and I took her to a restaurant which I've been trying to get a table at about three times in the Milkas. And it's always been busy. And I actually didn't know how big the restaurant was. And I uh, I'll share details later. Anyway, the key thing is I arrived there and I didn't realize it's like got enough for three hundred people to sit there and it's permanently packed. The moment it's open to end, it's permanently packed. And uh, I couldn't believe, wow, this is a really great place. We had a fantastic meal. And at the end, my wife and I approached the manager. The manager uh, is not religious. The, the people who oversee the restaurant are, has a hersha, obviously, right? But the, so I said to him, wow, like, this is crazy. Like, how come you're busy all the time? And he literally looked at me and said, you think it's to do with me? He points to Shamaim. He says, and that happens every day. You know when people say it's only in Israel? That happens every day in Israel. The people who don't seem religious, they have remarkable emunah. 
I, I, I'm not making anything better, but again, the majority of Israelis so care about Judaism. And I'm with one final, final thing last. Uh, Erev Shabbat. Erev Shabbat Shuvah. It was my grandmother's 10th Azkara. She's buried on a secular kibbutz. And uh, with myself and most of my family, we were almost a minyan. As my uncle David said, just tell me however many people we need, I'll just call some of my friends. Now, one of his dear friends, Joey Kames. I've known Joey for years. Joey's not religious. I, if I wanted, I could have had eight more Joeys. Because even on the secular kibbutz, if you need people for minyan, for Naskar, they'll be there. When people read what's taking place and they say, Israel's falling apart, I say, why? Give me a minute. That was horrible what took place in Yom Kippur. But I know what took place in Nitzanim. I know what took place today at this restaurant where this guy is kind of saying, and he's telling me about his belief in God. And I know what took place last Friday when Joey and any other person I wanted to would have been there for me because we're family. If we realize that's real Israel, and we realize this is a terrible tragedy where people don't know each other, they don't invest in caring for each other, and don't give to each other, then that's what needs to be fixed. The rest of Israel is strong. The rest of Israel is where people are mixing and they're caring about each other. They're professing faith in God. And they're, st they're stepping up to help each other even when it comes down to religious prayer. So I, that doesn't fix things, but I always believe... No, it does. You let's look at the bigger better. picture. I have to, you do make me feel better. I, I, like, I'm, this Yom Kippur, for you whatever reason... Johnny, what do you call it with the Shema Yisrael and Hashem Elohim? There's like a Sephardic term for it like that, that you say the Baruch Shem and Hashem Elohim. What's it called? I know, and I know, of course. Yeah. I mean, anyway, so like Sephardim will do it all the time, like they'll do it for no reason, <laughs> but we only do it at the end of Yom Kippur. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, like it was, it's like dusk, and it's a specific time in Israel. And I remember thinking to myself, like at this very moment, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Jews across this country are all saying the exact same thing. They're all saying Shema Yisrael and Baruch Shem and Hashem Elohim, and it just gave me chills to think that that there was this, that without a doubt, there was this sense of unity. So, like, I think you're right. Like, we tend to, especially because of social media and the media, yes, it was terrible and unjustifiable and painful, but we can't forget that there, there were painful experiences, but at the same time, there's this tremendous mass of people who are, who are coming together to praise, praise the name of God. We'll say it that way. All right, we're going to Just for you yeah. to know, when we got to that point... Because uh, everybody gathered in Fanila and Kibbutz Nitzanim. There was like 120 people. It was a little bit noisy because of people who had joined. I said to Tibur, because my counterpart was a Chazan, I said, this is like the sea of, of Nila. If we can all say this together, you could have heard a pin drop. Every single person cried out those words. So people with Machzorim, people without, right? Men, women, kids, right? It was remarkable. RZ listeners, if you want a real Yom Kippur experience next year, call Rab Johnny and ask him if you can uh, ask him if you come, can come to the to the kibbutz. Sounds exciting. Come I just along. need to know, Johnny. We do sometimes cultural recommendations. What was the restaurant? What's the name of the restaurant? If it was so uh, good, people want to know. Over in uh, in Oyuda. Huh, fascinating. Yeah, I want to know. Okay, we're going to stop here. Everyone, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I, I just, I felt the need to unpack. And as, as always, you guys have come through uh, with your words of comfort, Molly, with her, with her unpacking. And I hope this helped our listeners as well, because we're all struggling. Um, if you have comments, please share them with us. If we made factual errors, you, I'm sure you'll let us know on our Facebook. Do us a favor, if you're still listening, if you listen on Apple, uh, on Apple Podcasts, 
Um, leave us a review because it helps other people discover the podcast. We've got a bunch of reviews. We haven't had in a while. So if, you, if you've left one before, leave a five-star review again. If you've never left one now, now's a great time. We wish all of you a Chag Sukkot Sameach. Have a wonderful Sukkot. And we'll see you after the Chag. Bye now.